Um, we're going to go into today's message, and we're in the book of Revelation. Now, the book of Revelation is the last book of the Bible, and the book of Revelation is where we see God revealing to John, who wrote the book of Revelation, what is to come in the future for our world. And that's a really, really important question. That's a really important question that many people are asking. What happens at the end? And God plans to redeem the world that he created back to its original design. And the book of Revelation shows us what God plans to do to bring heaven back to earth. And that's what the book of Revelations is all about. In Revelation 4, and that's where we started, we saw a picture of heaven where there was a throne right in the middle. And not only was the throne right in the middle, but it was exalted. And we see within this picture of heaven, that's where God is seated. Thank you. And we see that's where God's seated. That's Revelation 4. And then in Revelation 5, we see the picture of God who was seated on the throne. He was holding this scroll. And all these people were like, who can open the scroll? Who is worthy to open the scroll? And there was only one that was worthy, and that was the lion and the lamb, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, in chapter 6 to 9, uh, last week, Pastor Alex gave an amazing sermon, an amazingly short sermon. I was watching online and I blinked and he was like, let's pray. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know? The good news is my sermons are going to get shorter now as we go by the end of the year. But in chapter 6 to 9, in the story of Revelation, we see the scroll. When the scroll was unraveled, what was written on the scroll was the plans for the future that God had intended. And so starting chapter 6 to 9, we see these plans come into action. God is preparing the earth to go back to its original design when God first created the world. But for God to do that, he, needed, he needs to clean up the mess that humanity created on earth. In one sense, it was time for the bills to get paid. Now, in Revelation 6 to 9, Pastor Alex took us through some very painful and scary descriptions of what the cleanup looks like, where God's cleanup of the earth and its evil and wickedness begins with the opening of the seals and the blowing of the trumpets, and we see absolute pain and destruction described in the scariest manner, bringing disaster to the earth and to its people. Now, there's two things that we need to understand as we continue to work our way through the book of Revelations. There's two absolute truths that we need to understand. The first one is this. God is in absolute control. See, a lot of the times when we experience chaos in the world like we did this year, right? No one woke up January 1, 2020 thought, yeah, this is going to be the craziest year of our lives. Sometimes when we go through chaos and experience chaos, we question the existence of God and the power of God. We think sometimes when our lives go into chaos, we're like, God, where are you? God, are you in control? 
But what we read through the book of Revelation and all scripture is that even in the chaos, God is present. Even when we don't acknowledge the presence of God, doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. He's still there. And even when the world seems like it's out of control, God is still in control. That's the first truth. Secondly, God will return to redeem what's his. Scripture tells us there will be a day where God will return to his creation and he will come to clean it up. Judgment will come. It's not a question of if it will come. It's a question of when will it come. Of course, we don't think like this. No one wakes up thinking tomorrow could be the last day. No one wakes up thinking that, hey, the life that I lived, I'm going to actually have to explain to God what I did. But Scripture tells us, and this is a truth, that God will return through the return of his son Jesus. And the earth and its people will need to account for their lives. So, understanding these two truths, we go into our passage today of Revelation chapter 10 and 11, where we see another mighty angel appear. And in that story, we see another little scroll turn up. We see the angel speaks to the author John in Revelation 10, 5 to 7. And this is what he says. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that is in it, and said, now listen to what the angel has to say. There will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Now remember, the, the seven seals were broken of the original scroll and every seal that was broken brought about disaster on earth as God is cleaning up the planet. And not only was it disaster, but it also came with pain and suffering. And this angel turns up. So we've had seven seals and then we've had six angels blow trumpets. And we're in the story between the sixth and the seventh. Seventh being the number of completion. And this angel turns up and he says this, the end is near. The end is near. There will be no more delay. And when this last trumpet is sounded, the mystery of God will be accomplished. Now that phrase, the mystery of God, now that could mean anything. But as you read scripture, the mystery of God, that phrase relates back to the idea of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus. That is the mystery of God, the good news of Jesus Christ, that through his death and resurrection, that whoever believes in him shall have the forgiveness of their sins and given life everlasting. This is the mystery of God that will be accomplished when the seventh trumpet sounds. That the people who understand and receive this news will be saved. And the clean out of earth will be complete. Now the part we want to focus on tonight is actually Revelation 11 to 14. And God tells John that he is going to appoint two witnesses. 
Now, there are many questions about who these witnesses represent, but the general consensus is that these two witnesses represent the church and the people of God. Now, if you remember, this letter was a letter written to the seven churches in the area. And so, in a sense, this part of the letter is about them. It's a personal part of the letter. And there are three things that we learn about these witnesses that we need to learn back then and we need to learn about us as the church today. Now, these witnesses, there's three words that describe these witnesses. Firstly, they were authoritative witnesses. Uh, Revelation 11, verse 3 to 6. And I will appoint my two witnesses, talking about the church, and they will prophesy for 120, uh, uh, sorry, 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands, and they stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes, down, comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Now, one of the things we learn about these witnesses is they are authoritative witnesses. They're not just witnesses that saw something, but they're witnesses that have authority and power to do something. They were appointed by God to tell the world about God and his desires to redeem the earth that was once created by him but was polluted by sinful man. It was witness. It was these witnesses that saw God's heart for judgment, but also to encourage people to come back to him through repentance of their sinful ways. Now, the imagery that's used in this passage, in those verses, you can, you can take that back a lot to the Old Testament about the plagues, about the olive trees, about the numbers. I'm not going to go too much into that, but... Remember, the, the revelations use so much of this imagery from the Old Testament to give us the picture of what is to come. The important thing is this. They were appointed by God for a specific purpose, to witness to the world God's heart that would hopefully bring about a response of repentance of man's sin and that man would return to God. This was the, the purpose of these witnesses. Secondly, these witnesses, not only were they authoritative witnesses, but they were suffering witnesses. Revelation chapter 11, 7 to 10. Now, when they had finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some... Uh, from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse to bury them. The inhabitants of earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. So we see this picture of these witnesses and these two witnesses are going around and they're telling people about God. They're prophesying about God. They're telling people about God's judgment and God's plans. And then we see a turn in the story that once they finished their story, the beast will come and they will kill these witnesses. And, and what's really sad is not only will these two witnesses die, but they won't even get a burial. They're just left in the city square. And not only are they humiliated even after death, 
by the people just walking past. But verse 10 reads, the inhabitants of earth will gloat over them. They'll see these dead bodies and they'll laugh. They will mock them and they will celebrate by sending each other gifts. How sick is that? You see a dead body and you go, hey, happy death day. It's, it's, you know, you send like flowers. Hey, I saw this dead body celebration. Something's wrong, right? Something's wrong. Why? Because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. What was the torment? What, what did these witnesses do that the world hated them so much that they would celebrate their death? Well, the witnesses were telling people in the world to repent. They were telling people of what God's heart was about. And all these people in the world, this was torture for them because they didn't want to hear the truth. And so they died and the world celebrated. What's interesting is this is the past, present and future story of the church. Remember I said the witnesses represent the church. This is the story of the church. Even to the churches that this letter was written to, the believers in those churches at the time were being tortured and prosecuted because of their witness of Jesus Christ. The world mocks them. The world swears at them. The world looks down on them. And when the Christian and the church is suffering, what does the world do? They celebrate. As much as we think this is a very far off story or this is a story that, that, that you know, is only in the past, can I tell you, that is the story of today. The church used to be celebrated for what the church could do for the world and now the church is laughed at and mocked by people outside thinking you are wasting your time. Recently, on the news, there was a story about a very famous pastor in the States. And he got fired from his church because at the end of the day, he had an affair. He was um, unfaithful in his marriage. And the news article came out and they blew it all over the news because the church that he was at was a big name church and they blew it all over the news. And it wasn't necessarily to, to criticize the pastor. It wasn't necessarily to, to mock the church. But man, they took some failings of some people and they just put it out there. That's the persecution that the church is enduring at the moment. Sports stars, celebrities, if they're unfaithful, they get a TV show. They get to go on reality TV. They get to sell their stories. The church fails. Damnation and hypocrisy. That's the story of our church today. But you know what? We shouldn't be surprised. Scripture tells us that suffering is actually a part of following Jesus. 
Choosing to follow Jesus, choosing to be a disciple of Jesus also means you choose to suffer for the decision that you made. Matthew chapter 5, 11 and 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And what does Jesus say? Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecute the prophets who were before you. This is the reality of our faith. The more problematic area for the Christian is if you're not going through suffering. If, you're don't, if you don't feel the pressure of being a Christian in the world, I think that's more of an issue. Because Jesus says, expect trouble. But if you're not dealing with trouble, then maybe you're really not following Jesus. So these witnesses, they were authoritative witnesses. These witnesses, they were suffering witnesses. But the passage, is, passage continues in verse 11 and 13. And what we're going to see is these witnesses are vindicated witnesses. Verse 11, but after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The death and the humiliation of the witnesses, however, was not the end of the story. And we see this beautiful picture that after three and a half days, the breath of life from God. That's a really important phrase, friends. The breath of life from God. That in itself, that's a sermon right there. The breath of life from God. Where does the breath of life come from? The breath that you and I are breathing today, there's only one place that comes from, and that's God. Now, whether you acknowledge that or not, whether you recognize that or not, that's the truth. Who gave us life? Who created you and I? Who breathed his breath into you that you may breathe today? It wasn't you. You didn't just pop out of the womb and go, start breathing. It wasn't the hospital. It wasn't medicine. It's God. Now, whether you believe that or not, that's up to you. The breath of life from God. And so we see these two witnesses, and they are dead for three and a half days. You know, you hear those medical stories, like the man at the morgue suddenly started knocking on his own coffin, and the people at the morgue realized that he was not actually dead. You know, like that, that's not one of these stories, right? Three and a half days dead. They're dead. They're really dead but it is the breath of life from God that entered them and then they are resurrected. And when they come back to life, there is vindication, meaning there is justice to those who look down upon them and mock them and we see more death and destruction to the unbelievers. It's an amazing story. These witnesses, 
that represent the church. They're out there prophesying God's story. And then they get killed by the beast, which is a picture of Satan. They're humiliated by the inhabitants of the earth. And yet after three and a half days, the breath of God, that breath of life from God comes and breathes into them. And they are alive and they get taken into heaven while the inhabitants of earth deal with death and destruction. See, when this letter was written, the church was being destroyed. But what's interesting was, even under all of that persecution and under all that oppression, it survived. You know what's interesting about the church? For 2,000 years, men and women have tried to destroy the church over and over again. Empires have done everything they can to destroy the church over and over again. And yet, over and over again, the church survives. The church gets persecuted and oppressed, but it survives. This should bring us hope today. For those who belong to the church, meaning that you belong to God, that no matter what kind of suffering or oppression or hardship you go through, that God will never leave you, but God will look after you till the very end where he will call you home to heaven. The church will survive. The Christians then, and even for us today, we have a choice. It's a choice that either we can endure, we can suffer, and then ultimately be victorious through the work of Jesus. There we go. The choice is we can endure what we're going through, and suffer, because that's what Jesus promised. Or, and, and, after the suffering, we can join in with the victory of Christ in heaven. Or, you can compromise and then experience the victory, the worldly victory. But then, you will suffer. And that's not just suffering on earth, that's suffering for eternity. Clear choice. Every Christian going through hardship, every Christian that has gone in the time of history, it doesn't matter what era you are alive, every Christian has to make that choice. Either they endure, they go through suffering, but they claim the victory at the end, or they compromise, they might live a worldly victorious life on earth, but then when judgment day comes, What's judgment day? Judgment day is the day that you stand before the judge and the judge will open up the book of life and, 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 and he will look at your life. You know, I can imagine, you know, 50 years ago when they were preaching sermons of judgment day, they would say things like, and then the judge will take out the book and then the book will explain everything that you've done in your life, every thought that you've had, every action, that, and then they will go through the pages. Let, let, we will contextualize this. Okay, God will pull out YouTube, okay, and he will click on your name and he will go through your life and what you did, what you said, what you, you know, what you thought. 
And every single thing that you did, you need to give an explanation. Stuff that other people know and stuff that other people don't know. You are responsible for that. You need to account for it. And that's what judgment day is. And if you do not hold to the standard of God, you will either receive life or you will receive death. The choice that we make, the choice that was presented to the Christians of the day, endure, suffer, and receive victory. Or compromise, receive worldly victory, but suffer for eternity. That's a very real choice. It's a very real choice that each and every one of us needs to make as well. Remember the realities that I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon. God is in absolute control, even if it seems like he's absent. And secondly, he will return to redeem what is his and to bring judgment on all mankind. As I said, you and I, we will need to account for our lives and our actions. And friends, unless we have repented of our sin, believed that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, we will be given exactly what we choose, a life that is apart from God for all eternity in hell. But for the believers, this is a message of hope. No matter what you're going through, no matter what we're going through as a church, hang in there. Because no matter what, the victory that God has won is the same victory that we will share. It might be on this time of earth or it might be on the other side of eternity. Friends, it's a choice. It's a choice. You know, you can choose to just endure suffer, but ultimately receive the prize. Or you can choose to compromise. You can choose comfort, safety, pleasure on this earth. And yeah, that might look like a victorious life on this earth. But when judgment day comes, you will not join in the victory of God. And you will pay the price for the decisions that you've made. Now, I don't want this to be a morbid, like, you need to make a choice. It kind of sounds like that, hey? But I want this to lead into what we're celebrating tonight in baptism. The three sisters over the next three weeks, what they're declaring is this, that they have made a choice. That regardless of their circumstance and situation, they have made a choice to follow Jesus. No matter what happens in their life to follow Jesus, they will endure and, and they will go through suffering, but they know that they will ultimately receive the victory. And what's exciting about that is they are publicly declaring that in front of their friends and family. But that's not just for them, but it's for each and every one of us. We all need to think about this. doesn't matter how old you are. doesn't matter how long you've been going to church. The realities are true. God is absolutely in control and God will return. And you will need to share your story with him. And you, you, you better have some good stories. 
Friends, I don't share this to scare you. That's what the scripture says. But I think we share this to warn and also to comfort. Warn those. Warn those that are not choosing to follow Jesus. Ask yourselves, what happens after I die? What happens after I die? Really, is this it? Like I die and then that's it and life, that's the end of the existence of my life? Surely that can't be it. If you're not a believer, thank you for joining us, but really need to ask some questions. If, if, If the point of living is to die, what's the point? If the point is to, to live for 60, 70 years of, of fun and pleasure, work hard, retire early, play golf, really? Like that's what, that's what existence is all about? I'm telling you, friends, there's more. There has to be more or else this life is a waste. But for the Christians tonight, I hope that this message comes and brings you hope. No matter what you're going through. You know, as a church, like every other church in this world, you know, there are things that we can and can't do. Some of us feel like that's an area of oppression. Some of us feel like that's suffering. Hang on. Hang on. Endure. Continue to do what you can do. Continue to love God and love people, to honor him in your lives. And yeah, it could be tough. Yeah, it could be long going. But at the end of the day, on the day that it matters, and you stand there before God, and God says, well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome home. You will receive the very victory that Jesus Christ has won for each and every one of us. Let's pray.